0: distro hopping the idea that linux is fun and the myriad of ways people put distros together should be reviewed often my name is moss i live in eastern tennessee my name is tony i live in the northwest of england and i'm dale i live in northeast ohio welcome to distro hoppers digest we love checking distros out new distros new versions of older distros and even some we may have overlooked we each have our preferences in complexity or
1: desktop or package management. Perhaps we can help you find a new distro, or better understand one which has piqued your curiosity.
2: The idea of this podcast is that we will each install a new distro to our chosen hardware for three or four weeks, and use it as much as possible, perhaps even as our daily driver. We record all our trials and tribulations, fixes, what we liked and what we didn't.
0: Tony and I prefer to look at distros which would be kind to a new user, especially one who is hoping to move over from another operating system, such as Windows or Mac OS.
1: Well, I tend to take on the more advanced distros and give them a go.
2: We intend to give as much information as possible on each distro, and we will also divulge what hardware we are using and how we think the hardware may have affected the rating.
0: Welcome to Distro Hoppers Digest, episode 21, recording on March 31st, 2021. This episode, we're taking on Magia 8 and Debian Sid Unstable, and experienced a few flops. We're happy to receive suggestions of distros you'd like us to try whether Debian Red Hat, Arch, Sousa, Mandriva, Slackware, Gen 2, or perhaps even BSD based. We are distanced, and two of us have been vaccinated. monthly foibles were and we discussed what we did this month. I've been pretty busy this month installing lots of distros to the point where I had to save one for next month's show. I've also been trying to figure out more creative uses for the YubiKey key I was given by listener Firecat. I put my stimulus money to use buying 228 gigabyte USB 3.2 sticks from Silicon Power and made one into a Super Ventoy stick, featuring the most current version of just about every distro I've ever used. What's going on with you, Dale? Well,
1: I've had a variety of activities the past month. I replaced the last two 1TB WD Red drives in my Plex server. In their place, I put in two 4TB Seagate IronWolf drives. So now I have two 4TB mirrors for a total of 8TB of space using ZFS. I gave the four 1TB Red drives to Josh from the Mintcast podcast. I heard him mentioning getting a server that had some bad drives in the past episode, so I wanted to help him out. For distro-related activities, I did an in-place upgrade on my Plex server that was running Debian 9 to Debian 10. It went well. There was an error with the ZFS DKMS module, but it was resolved once the upgrade was complete. I was expecting that since it went from kernel 4.9 to 4.19. I found a new BSD distro called Hello Systems. It uses the Lumina desktop and was based on the now discontinued Fury BSD. I believe they are now using FreeBSD 12 as a base. The project is in the early alpha stages of development. I installed the latest ISO to check it out. They are aiming for macOS users that are leaving Apple or people that like the macOS interface. At first glance, Hello System looks and functions just like macOS. I may speak more on this in future episodes. Lastly, as a brief mention, I purchased a System76 Pangolin. It is an all AMD based laptop. I chose the Ryzen 5 4500U with 6 cores and 6 threads up to 4 GHz with 16 GB of RAM. The release of a laptop was a week or so before my birthday. I haven't had a brand new laptop in 10 years, so it was a happy birthday to me. So what's new with you, Tony?
2: Happy birthday again.
0: (laughs) Yes, happy birthday again. Thank
2: you. Uh, So it's been quite a quiet month for me, Linux-wise, as I've been busy with other things But So there'll be no review from me this month, although I have continued to play with uh, Endeavor OS on that little laptop I've got. I've also been looking at the latest release of Audacity, and all I can say at the moment is that uh, I installed it through Snap, and (laughs) Snap has made it go go back in time as the (laughs) interface looks very Windows 98 and very boxy. I thought it was just you know, audacity, but uh, Josh pointed out on Discord it could be because I've got it installed in a snap. So I'll just have to wait until it uh, comes into the repos to try it then to see if the interface is any better. I had tried to do do this on uh, Endeavor, uh, but Endeavor in their repos, they're still giving the 2.4.1 version, even after updates. So I don't know what's going on there. And I've tried a couple of times to see if it'll update on Endeavor but no joy so much, so far and then last time I tried it was yesterday this morning however last year when we were playing around when we first started or a while back when we first started Distro Hoppers I uh, I bought a domain name that was related to Distro Hoppers we've never used it so I decided to let it go And I cancelled the auto payment with the uh, company that I was uh, buying the domain name through. But they took the payment anyway. So I had an interesting three quarters of an hour telephone call uh, this morning trying to uh, say, can I have my money back? Uh, Luckily, it's a UK company. So uh, I've got better financial protection around issues such as this in this country. So... uh, I'll let you know what happens, but I have uh, copied the Financial Services Ombudsman into my complaint email to the uh, company involved. And we'll see whether that helps resolve the issue and I get my £15 back. <laughs> so that's for, that's what's been going on with me. Shall we move on to updates? <laughs>
0: Updates, where we discuss what we have learned about distros we've already reviewed. There are always new versions of Farron OS and KDE Neon, it's hard to keep up on changes. Has anything caught your attention about the distros you've reviewed for us, Dale? Ghost
1: BSD mentioned going forward that Mate will be the only official desktop. XFCE will now be community supported. I didn't see any other updates for previous distros. How about you, Tony?
2: Uh no, I haven't uh, been looking at the uh, news or anything so I've not got anything on updates. So uh, let's move on to beautiful failures, shall we?
0: Beautiful failures, what we tried and failed to install or run this month. I was expected to join the rest of the Mintcast crew in reviewing Endeavor OS. I don't know why, but this distro has so much promise and so much failure for me. For one, after installation, it creates a Grub menu with more than a dozen entries for my main distro and several extra for whatever other distros may be installed. Running Grub Customizer allows me to cut this down, but it creates more on the next boot. I had enough other things happen that I could not keep the distro on my machine for a full day. It feels like it's nearly there and probably would run fine as a solo install. I would say that I was pleased to be able to install everything I use, and that for the most part using it was a, was a pleasant experience. I followed up with trying to run Manjaro, but this was on my Fuzzy 400 workstation, and I could not get Manjaro to recognize the other distros on the machine, so I nuked that and installed Peppermint until something better comes along. I have tried and failed to wrap my head around Nitrix. I tried it on my Ventoy stick and found that they included a classic installer, which turned out to be Calamaris, instead of their original installer, which placed the distro in a folder. I got it installed, and they gave me several pages of what I should do next, none of which looked even vaguely familiar. I ran updates, and those ended after a while with a DPKG error. There was no taskbar or dock, and not even a shut-off or reboot button— there was a logout, but it did nothing. I did a hard shutoff and tried to boot to it, and the boot failed. So I went back into Mint and was successful at sudo-grub install and left it at that. I then installed something else. I also worked with Dale to get Ubuntu installed, as the Debian installer is not my friend. While I succeeded in getting it installed, all it took was for a new installation of something else to grab the swap partition before I could no longer get it to boot. I've been talking to Dale some about this just yesterday. I have been unable to install this distro on either of my other machines. Perhaps I will do a single installation on the Inspiron after this show is over. Dale and Tony tell me they have not had any failures. I feel alone. But let's move ahead and ask Dale to talk to us about his experiences with Debbie and Sid.
2: You're never alone. Never.
0: You're never alone (laughs) with the voices in your head. Well, you guys are the voices in my head, so. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> so, this month, I decided to do something a little different. I am going to review Debian Sid, which is the name of the unstable or you could call it development branch, of of Debian. So Debian is among the oldest Linux distros that is still actively developed. It started in September of 1993 and was created by Ian Burdock. The name comes from the first three letters of Debbie, his then-girlfriend's name, and his first name. The story behind the name started with Bruce Perrin's. Once Ian got the project off the ground, he assigned Bruce with maintaining the base system and core packages. Bruce worked at Pixar. Pixar created an animated movie called Toy Story, and the version code names are all characters from the movie. The conventions used to name development branches is not clear to new users, so I will attempt to explain this. Experimental is not a full distribution it is a staging area to evaluate new versions of software that has a high potential of breaking or causing system instability software that is determined to not likely cause serious issues will be moved to the unstable branch unstable is where development of the full distribution happens it is always called sid unstable to debian means it is in a state of flux Packages can be frequently updated, added, or removed. This is where they eventually select the versions of software that will be tested for the next stable release. They use the name Sid because he was a bratty kid that would break toys and perform experiments on them. Kind of fitting for a test pit for software, don't you think? Testing is what will eventually become the next stable release. All the evaluated packages that were given the OK from unstable are moved into the testing branch. This is typically where other developers pull packages to build their own distros from and is what Mark Shuttleworth used to create Ubuntu. Once the testing branch is deemed as bug-free and stable as possible, it is released as stable. Stable is the current release version. Packages are frozen, meaning not version updated though they are patched for bug and security fixes. It is considered the LTS and supported for a disclosed number of years. The previous stable release is renamed Old Stable so as not to cause naming conflict. It will be supported until the LTS support end date has been reached. Then it will be handed over to the Debian security team. They will provide security fixes for about one year. After the year has ended, old stable will be marked as obsolete. And as again in my previous reviews, my hardware is in the Novo T430 with an Intel dual core i5 3320M at 2.6 GHz, a 14 inch display using Intel graphics, 4 GB of RAM, and a 240 GB SSD. I am also using BIOS mode instead of UEFI. I remember that laptop. It's been a good laptop. It's had probably 50,000, 60,000 miles on it so far. I can't remember when I got it from you. But in any case, <laughs> I take it with me when I work. Just in case we have new, us- new listeners. Installation ease and issues. As per usual, I created the USB installation using DD. I chose the community edition ISO that includes non-free firmware since my T430 has a Wi-Fi chip that requires it. Debian offers graphical and text-based installation methods. The text-based method uses ncurses, which allows for keyboard arrow key navigation. It is also the method used in the netinstall ISO. Under the advanced options, they have the following: expert install, which allows for more detailed installation options, automated install, where you create a file with your chosen options, a rescue mode, which allows you to mount a drive or partition. For blind users, there is a speech enabled method. As a side note, Debian uses Calamares in their live ISO image. I'm going to use the graphical install. You answer the same questions of language, keyboard, language, it proceeds to detect the hardware. I configured my Wi Fi, which is a Intel Centrino Advanced N6205 Taylor Peak. If something isn't detected, you can put the driver on a, another USB stick and have the installer load it from there. You could be fancy and put it on the installation USB. You will see a dialog of connection and configure below the uh, progress indicator. It will report that it is connected to your Wi-Fi. The remaining questions are your host name and optionally the uh, domain name. Next will be the user creation. Up first will be the root user, then your user. If you choose to keep the root user password blank, your user will automatically be configured to use sudo. If you enter a password for root, then you will need to use the su dash command that's the hyphen to perform administrative functions unless you want to configure sudo on your own. The clock will be set and you will be asked to confirm your time zone. The last step for installation starts in the disk partitioning. You have three guided options. They are use the entire disk, use the entire disk and set up LVM which is logical volume manager used to group many disks together. Use the entire disk and set up LVM with encryption. The last option is manual. The guided option will ask which disk you want to use and if you want everything in one partition. The other choices are separate home or separate home, var, and temp. If you want to use a laptop with suspend, I would suggest using the manual option. The guided will create a one gigabyte swap. You will need swap equal to the size of memory installed on your laptop. To use the manual option, double-click on your drive, and you'll be asked what size you want for the first partition. Enter the size with GB or MB after it, for gigabyte and megabyte. Then choose if it is primary or logical partition. If you want to change the file system from the default of ext4, double-click and use as, and select what you want. Since I'm using BIOS, I need to set the bootable flag to on. Just double click on bootable flag. It will toggle each time you double click. When you're done, double click on done. To create the swap, just double click on the available space again. Do the same as before, but with the file system selection, you would choose swap area. When you're done creating partition, double click on finish. It will create the file systems and continue with the installation. One thing that is a bit different with Debian is you need to select the package manager source. Since you are using a USB ISO, it considers it as the same as a DVD install. All of the APT or apt sources will be pointed to it. In this step, you will configure a network mirror site. You start by selecting your country then one of the available mirror sites. Once it has updated its sources from the internet, you can now select your desktop environment. The options are GNOME, XFCE, KDE Plasma, Cinnamon, MATE, LXDE, LXQT. Other options are web server, print server, SSH server, and standard system utilities. I selected KDE Plasma and the installer started to copy the files. The last step in the install is the grub bootloader. Debian should have detected if there are any other installations. You'll be asked which drive you want to install it on. Once Grub is installed, remove the USB stick and click continue to reboot. I checked for updates in preparation for upgrading the SIN to SID. No updates were found. It is highly recommended to upgrade from a clean install. This will minimize any possible problems during the upgrade. Now this is where we get to the part where we actually convert it to SID. To upgrade the installation to SID there are a couple options. The best is to do what I did. Use the current stable as a base. The next option is to use the current testing branch. Last option is to use the unstable mini ISO. It is a network install which means it will download everything from a mirror site. Further instructions are available from the Debian wiki. I will have a link to it in the show notes. Using your favorite text editor, edit your app sources.list file located in slash slash apt. Make sure you use sudo or su dash to become the root user. Replace all the mentions of the current code name with the code name of Sid. In my case, I replaced Buster with Sid on each of the source listings. After editing the file, App needs to update all the source entries. To do that, type apt update followed by apt full-upgrade. Now sit back and wait for new packages to download and install. Once the update is finished, reboot. Now run app-get update and then apt-get upgrade. That will check to see if the new Sid install is able to update and upgrade. The last step is to remove any packages that are no longer needed. Type apt auto remove. That completes the update to Debian SID. As a side note, you may have noticed app and app-git. They are basically the same. App provides a progress bar when installing packages. It also provides a package search function via apt search. Whereas app-git uses a separate application called app-cache. I will have a link in the Debian manual that explains it in more detail. Post-installation hardware facts and issues. I was happy to see that the installation saved my Wi-Fi passphrase. It was automatically connected after I logged in. The screen was at its native resolution, the audio buttons, and the sound were working properly. The track point was working as expected at a manageable speed. I did notice that when I ran sudo apt-git, it reported that I still have the DVD source listed in my sources list. So I edited the Etsy apt sources that list file with nano and put an pound sign, or as some of the
0: younger generation calls the hashtag. Or as the older generation calls it, the octothorpe.
1: Okay, that's a new one on me. <laughs> And, uh, you put that at the beginning of the DVD source line to comment it out, which is ge- generally for m- most configuration files in, uh, in uh, Linux. I opened the terminal window again and ran sudo app dash git update and all was well. Since app was fixed, I installed Joe, my favorite terminal text editor, NeoFetch and HTOP. Ease of use. I didn't notice many problems while using Plasma. It is currently at version 5.20.5, frameworks is 5.78.0, and Qt is at 5.15.2. The kernel is at 5.10.0-5, which is quite recent. You will notice while running SID that many of the packages are very recent. To give a couple examples, LibreOffice is version 7.0.4.2. On Linux Mint 20, Cinnamon, they have kernel 5.8 available. The LibreOffice they use is version 6.4.6.2. Sid is using Firefox ESR, which is Extended Support Release, at version 78.9.0,
0: which is a much newer ESR than any other distro I've seen is using.
1: Yes, the uh, in Sid. They will accept packages from any maintainers. The agreement is that the maintainer has to maintain the packages themselves until it is officially included into the Debian uh, distribution, and then once it's in testing, uh, Debian maintainers will maintain it. There's a very big hierarchy in, in the Debian system, which I could make an entire episode out of, so <laughs> I was trying to be as Explained it as best I could without being too verbose. For package management, Sid is using Discover by default when you install the Plasma desktop. Though they do offer Apper, which is A P P E R, which in my opinion is a much better option. Apper was originally called K Package It is a GUI application for the package management service used in KDE. I have found it quicker to use compared to Discover. When searching for packages, Apper finds more relevant results as well. I've done side-by-side comparison of Discover and Apper. Discover had some search results that had absolutely nothing to do with the search term, but those results were not shown in Apper. Since they both use the same update cache, you can use either one. Apper is very similar to the Synaptic Package Manager, but more current-looking in its layout which is another reason why I would prefer apper to be the default considering that Synaptic is the default in other editions of Debian. If you're used to using Debian stable, then you know that package updates mostly consist of bug fixes and security updates. Since the package versions are frozen once stable is released, SID on the other hand can update package versions. They can also have packages added, removed, The term frozen means that current versions of the packages are never updated. Only bug fixes and security updates are applied. I did experience one oddity. The meta key, AKA the Windows key, stopped working. Usually you press the meta key and the application launcher, AKA start menu will open. Not only did it not work, I can't even press Alt, Function F1 key to open it. I tried removing the keyboard shortcut and adding it I did some searching online. Apparently this is a thing that has happened to other plasma users regardless of the distro. Memory and disk use. First boot after installation, free-h reports four hundred and forty-five megabytes used, NeoFetch reports four hundred and ninety-eight megabytes used, and HTOP reports five hundred and ten megabytes. Installation size is about 5.4 gigabytes. And I didn't do that after upgrading the SID, but this installation size should be within that range still. The ease of finding help. When you are using SID, the Debian wiki is your best source. I used it quite a bit. Other sources of help include the Pound Sign, Debian Next channel on OFTC IRC server. They are the open and free technology community and the Debian mailing list for Debian development. Links are available in the installation link I previously posted in the show notes. Place nice with others. I didn't dual boot SID with any other distros. Since it uses Grub2, I don't see any obvious issues that would prevent doing that. Stability. During my use the past four weeks, it has been stable other than the metakey stopped opening the application menu. However, please keep in mind that this is very dependent on the current development cycle. Debian will probably release version 11 codenamed Bullseye sometime this year. Bullseye is currently in the testing branch. Once they freeze testing, nothing will be moved from SID into testing. When Bullseye is released to stable, software in the experimental branch will be moved into SID. The whole process will start again creating Debian 12, and any software that was held back from testing will continue to be evaluated, along with new packages released from experimental. Similar distros to check out. I don't have any specific mentions here. If you want to help test a distro, reach out to the various projects. Some allow public access... And some do not.
0: Maybe a beta of Ubuntu with the proper desktop might count. <laughs> yes, any feedback you can give to the development team
1: is is helpful. Because I know from this, uh, what I've heard from a lot of developers listening to podcasts and in the various forums, that when you're looking through thousands and thousands and thousands of lines of code every day, it's pretty much like trying to edit a term paper, where you could read through the, lo- lo- the paragraph seventeen times, and somebody will go, "You use the wrong there." So would he use? <laughs> so would he use the wrong there in in code? That's
2: not good. Hmm. I'm not sure, but doesn't uh, seduction use the uh, Debian Sid repos? I know there are a couple of uh, Debian-based distros that use testing. <laughs> But I th- I thought Sid uh, Seduction used uh, the the uh, Sid Re- uh, Sid repos.
1: Yes, that's part of the parts that I edited out because this review was really getting lengthy, and I guess I should have left that in there. And I could just speak briefly on that. Yes, in the heritage of Debian, like um, Mark Shuttleworth was a, De- a Debian developer, and when he left to create. Ubuntu and you know, C- Canonical as the company, he used the testing repo to create Ubuntu with, and another I think it's MX Linux and uh, SEDuction. SEDuction uses uh, Debian Sid uh, repos, and they can they can do that. They can a th- lot of them tend to use testing because testing, as far as stability goes, is pretty stable and has more recent packages compared to uh, Debian Stable. But you are correct, Tony. Yeah, um, they're allowed to uh, pull from the, uh, from the repos. It's completely allowed, and the uh, development community is, is aware and uh, supports that. Thanks. No problem. Now the ratings. This is kind of, a, kind of a hard thing to do, but I'll talk more about that in a minute. Ease of installation for a new user. I'm just going to be on the safe side and call that a 3 out of 10. And for an experienced user, I'm going to say 7 out of 10. The hardware issues, I was going to give a, a 8 out of 10. The ease of finding help, 10 out of 10. I mean, next to everybody talks about the Arch Wiki. Well, the Debian Wiki and the Debian uh, documentation is very good. I mean, it's at probably at the same standard of uh information. Plays nice with filters, I didn't try dual booting it. The stability for the past four weeks, I didn't have any crashes. It always booted, applications ran, so I gave it a 10 out of the 10, but please keep in mind your mileage may vary. If you get in at the start of the next development cycle of brand new packages coming in, it's very possible you could have some breakage. So the overall rating I'm going to give it is a 7 out of 10 final comments it is hard to really give fair ratings because of the changes during the development cycle i took points off to try to balance it it mostly favors an experienced user i would never suggest or recommend a new user try sid there are too many steps and possible complications that can occur for one thing you need to install debian stable or testing then you need to upgrade it to sid the upgrade can easily go pear-shaped rather quickly I hope this has shown the amount of time and detail the Debian projects put into each release many people complain that Debian has old packages well that is the intended goal they want a bug-free and stable release as possible many organizations use Debian for that very reason SpaceX and NASA use Debian in combination with real-time OSs based on FreeBSD. Others use it for research. They need a stable OS that is dependable, consistent, and anything less could alter their testing results. And remember people, SID is not a release distribution. It is there solely for the purposes of testing and feedback. We are professionals, don't try this at home. Yes, exactly. Now let's see what Moss has to tell us about
0: mangia. <laughs> Okay, for this month, I've got Magia 8, XFCE, and Plasma. This is a remnant of the Mandrake slash Mandriva project, carried on mostly by the original French dev team. They have professional and desktop versions with Plasma, GNOME, and XFCE flavors. It feels like the devs have concentrated on performance and neglected many features which would be useful to new users, which is the opposite of what the Mandrake project was, but let's get into this. My hardware, I ran the XSCE on a Dell Inspiron 7353 with 8GB of RAM, 128GB SSD, i5 Intel graphics. I ran Plasma on a System76 Kudu 3 with 16GB of RAM, 1TB SSD, and i7, in Intel graphics. Installation, ease, and issues. The installer for the Plasma version is graphical, but it could be a lot prettier. But it's understandable, as proven by the fact that I got through it. The XFCE install uses the same method, but the team has worked out the graphics much better. You've got use existing partitions. You mark which partition you want root in, mark the partition for formatting, pick general packages to delete before installation, unused hardware support, unused localization, and installation begins. Pick bootloader options, grub graphical, grub text, or refined. Delay time before boot, default 10 seconds, and root password. Then you get packages installation, set default boot and click finish. The bootloader installs, the opportunity to set up online media, install security updates, set the Wi-Fi password or select other connection types, a lot too many screens of Wi-Fi options. And then you click finish. The updates start and then they give you more choices for more updates. And then you reboot. Magia controls the boot and boot screen, but seems to be ready to boot to your choice. Mint in my case. Since I wanted to do updates, I selected Magia. It then asks for connection type info and does not remember my selection from installation. Again, too many screens for Wi-Fi connection. It's nice to have options, but you don't need all this to log in. Then you enter the admin password and set your username and password, and then you are prompted to log in. Poof, you have Magia. XFCE Desktop has taskbars top and bottom. Moving either panel is not as easy as they think, but that's an XFCE issue, and they can be combined into one taskbar. The welcome screen looks nice. Go through it if you like, including install software. DNF Dragora needs to be installed or you'll be stuck with RPM Drake, which is sort of like Synaptic. Enabling tainted resources is not as simple as they seem to think it is and may be necessary for some software to be installed from repos. Post-installation hardware facts and issues. Upon reboot, I cannot get it back into Mint. When I select Mint on the boot menu, it asks for my login and password and then boots the Magia anyhow. I booted using F12 and selected Mint, then ran a pseudo-Grub install and got Grub back to Mint, then ran and Grub customize so that Mint recognized that Magia was on SDA3. The music at boot-up is the same as Open Mandrivas except it ends a couple of bars before it normally would finish. Did they only get permission to use two-thirds of the music? Magia XFCE comes with XFCE 4.16 and Kernel 5.10.16. After I change the wallpaper, I notice that the wallpaper itself is glitchy at boot and then settles down. Lots of horizontal bars of varying lengths and colors flashing for about a second or two. This is still continuing with other reboots. After settling down, the taskbar is still fuzzy, like there's a second copy on top of the first, until you hover over it and that sinks. Something is still not quite right in this desktop. In Magia Plasma, you have more options on boot as to which desktop you want to log in, with Plasma as default. However, where you expect to find the login button to continue, there is a reboot button. The login button is found on the lower left. When you do upgrades in console, you have to first type SU, hit enter, and type your password, then type DNF upgrade, and after completing the updates, you should type exit before closing console. A few times I have completed that process and then been met with a pop-up box, stating there are more updates and do I want to install them? Magia Plasma comes with Plasma 5.20.4 built on top of QT 5.15.2 and KDE Frameworks 5.76, and with KDE Applications 20.12.0, also Kernel 5.10.16 and Mesa 20.3.4. They have other desktops including Enlightenment 0.24.2, Cinnamon 4.8.3, Matei 1.24.2, Gnome 3.38.3, and LXDE. And there are also instructions for adding LXQT 0.16.0, but not directly out of the box. DNF Dragora did not work for me in XSCE. I would load it, the program would come up, it looks a lot like Synaptic, and instead of loading what programs were ready to update, it locked up. Ease of use. There is often something in Magia which is different from other X-Mandrakes, and it always seems to be in favor of the other Xs, PC, Linux, OS, or OpenMandriva, in my experience. Updating an open Mandriva's console is a simple sudo dnf upgrade, enter, password, enter, and the magic happens. In PC Linux OS, is even an apt command. But in Magia, you have to use su. So it's su, enter, password, enter, dnf upgrade, enter, whatever happens, you have to type exit and enter. This more resembles Sabayon than OpenMandriva or Rosa. Memory and disk use. Magia XFCE NeoFetch reports 488 megabytes. With everything installed, I'm using 6.2 gigs of disk space. A few things I would normally install could not be found for Magia. It's a pretty light distro in terms of space. Magia Plasma, on the other hand, has NeoFetch reporting 689 megabytes. This is odd, as many other distros have Plasma and XFCE showing extremely similar numbers. It's still using 6.2 gigabytes of disk. Ease of finding help? There is a Magia forum and also help available at linuxquestions.org. As there appear to be fewer people using Magia than OpenMandriva or PC Linux OS, help may not be immediately forthcoming on the Magia forum for a new user. Plays nice with others. I did not have issues dual booting with Mint on my Inspiron or multi-booting on the Kudu. With the exception, of course, that I had to grab the boot back in Mint on the XFCE version. Stability. The XSCE desktop is a bit flaky, but did not crash. DNF Dragora froze a few times, solved by using terminal for updates. Similar distros to check out. Please check out OpenMandriva LX 4.2. It's lovely. Rosa is the basis for OpenMandriva, and PC Linux OS is its own thing and has a lot going for it, as you've heard on other shows lately. Ratings. Ease of installation for a new user is 8 out of 10. For an experienced user is 9 out of 10. Hardware issues, 10 out of 10. Ease of finding help, oh, let's call it 7 out of 10. You can find the help. It, it, it takes a while to get it to you. Ease of use, 6 out of 10. Plays nice with others, 10 out of 10. Stability added 8 out of 10. And my overall rating is 7 out of 10. My final comments, I could not get to where I felt I could run this distro as my daily driver. It's certainly not a bad distro, but it just isn't as refined as OpenMandriva or even PC Linux OS, so if you want to relive your Mandrake experience, I would check those out first. Let's move on to new releases. New releases since last episode from... February 24th to March 30th, Kali Linux 2021.1, Magia 8, Mabuntu's DE3 1.04, Archman 2021 03, Blue Star 5.11.2, Arch 2021.03.01, IP Fire 2.25 Core 154, Absolute twenty twenty one zero three zero two, RoboLinux 12.03, Pardus 19.5, Nomad BSD 1.4, Makulu Linux 2021-03-05, Sparky Linux 2021.03, Cubes OS 4.0.4, Live Rezo 12.21.03.04, System Rescue 8.01, Venom 20210312, Voyager 20.04.2, Porteus Kiosk 5.2.0, Tails 4.17, Manjaro 21.0, KOS 2021.03, SEPTOR 2021.2, KDE Neon 2021.0325, Alpine 3.13.3, Raspi OS 2021-03-04, Arco Linux 21.03.11, IPFire 2.0, 2.5-Core155, Debian 10.9.0, Debian Edu 10.9.0, 4 Linux 36.0, Parrot 4.11, Kodachi 8.3, Proxmox MG 6.4, Nitrix 2021.03.30, Alma Linux 8.3. I'm sure a lot of you uh, CentOS users were waiting for that. Snell 1.3, and STAR 3.1.0. In feedback, we haven't received any new emails, and topics in our groups have gotten dealt with. I can't think of anything to bring up for further discussion. Shall we move on to announcements?
2: Yeah, there was nothing on the blog either, apart from a load of spam, so uh, we haven't got anything from there.
0: Radio. Announcements. For chatting with us further, you may choose to join our 24 users in Telegram, our 53 members on MeWe, or the 120 so members of the Mintcast channel in Discord. Where can our listeners find you, Dale? I'm on Telegram as at
1: Dale underscore CDL. My email is dale underscore cdl at pm.me. Tony, where can we
0: find you?
2: Yeah, you can contact me at distrohoppersdigest at gmail.com. I'm on Hacker Public Radio. I'm uh, host ID 338. My occasional blog, which is very, very, very occasional, is tony-use.blogspot.com. I'm on Twitter at tonyh1212. And you can get me at th at minkcast.org or distrohoppersdigest at com, which I've already said. That's there twice.
0: <laughs> oh, I've got to fix that. Let, let me... Now you won't say it next time. I won't. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, boss. And you can reach me as at Zyvola on Telegram at zyvalananda.protonmail.ch at ch and on Mastodon at Zyvala at plus my various blogs and music sites, uh, all with independent links in there, so that, that's not one underline, there are many underlines there, and along with Dale and Dylan at ItsMoss.com. Tony and I can also be found almost every week on Mintcast. We would like to thank the Mintcast crew for our use of their mumble room. Our next show will be recorded on or about April 29th, 2021. Visit our website at https colon slash slash distrohoppersdigest.blogspot.com and follow us on Telegram, and the Mintcast Discord groups. We must thank all of our listeners because our last episode reached 800 downloads, and that feels really good. My work here and at Mintcast can be supported by joining my sponsors, https://sponsors.org/u/sayvila, or by direct donation through Sponsors or PayPal. I've got my email address in the show notes. Thanks to supporter Firecat and helpers SK Beans, Linux One Fourteen, and John in Glasgow. I am very grateful for all donations which have been or will be received. Before we go. We would like to thank all those who have made this project possible,
2: starting with the MintCast crew for allowing us to use their Mumble server and
0: Discord group. Archive.org for storing and helping to distribute this program. Audacity, which we use to record and edit the show.
2: Joshua Lowe for work on our logo.
1: All those who work on the teams which are creating, adapting, and maintaining the Linux distros we have reviewed this episode.
0: Mid-air machine creators of the song streets of Santivo used as our music under Creative Commons license. Thanks to Linus Torvalds for the kernel, Richard
2: Stallman for the GNU Toolkit, and all those who have worked hard behind the scenes on free and open source Libre software.
0: We shall be back next month. Thank all of you for listening.